Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Welcome again, everybody, to the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and we're here in the middle of a series called The Gifts of Anglicanism for the Body of Christ, where we're exploring some of the treasures we've received from the Anglican tradition and how we can steward these riches within a contextual, kingdom-centric, spirit-empowered mission in the modern world. I'm here with uh, Bishop Todd as my co-host today. Bishop, how are you? Hey, Ben. I'm well, thank you. You know what? I Because I try to cultivate modesty. Uh-huh. I don't often have these thoughts, but it's been hitting me recently. I get a lot of great comments about this podcast. Thanks for doing it. Oh. Seriously. There's well, I'm super of, glad to hear it. That's very gratifying, and I'm really glad to hear it. It uh, must be hitting the mark and um, doing I think it's job. our guess. It's our guess. Probably. Speaking of, yeah. um, we're, we're about to get to our guest today. But uh, first of all, just to review, we've talked about the centrality of the Eucharist. We've talked about the formative power of liturgy. We've talked about the Book of Common Prayer, the church fathers and mothers. And then last week, we talked about bishops. We had, uh, we had two bishops. Um, it's like herding cats. The, the two of you last week, Bishop Todd. I'm joking. You guys I were know. wonderful. It's a little cray-cray when you get bishops together. Yeah, it is. But um, we are talking today about the church calendar, and our guest is the Reverend Dr. W. David O. Taylor, a.k.a. David Taylor. Does uh, that name C4- rock or what? I know. That, it's, a, it's a very cool name. He's got so many initials and names. It's wonderful. Um, David is C4SO's Scholar-in-Residence for Arts, Media, and Culture, and he's also an Associate Professor of Theology and Culture at Fuller Seminary. David, you've been on the podcast before. Welcome back. Thank you, sir. Glad, glad to be here. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. Um, David's also the author of Open and Unafraid, The Psalms as a Guide to Daily Life, uh, and other books. Uh, we'll put links to those in the show notes. Um, David, maybe just for those of you, for those of our listeners who don't know you, aren't familiar with you, um, introduce yourself a little bit more fully to us. What should we know about you besides your roles in C4SO and as a professor? Uh, yes, so I was born and raised in Guatemala, Guatemala City. Lived there until okay. I was 13, then moved to North Shore, Chicago for one year, and mm-hmm. then four years in Arkansas, okay. and then uh, college at the University of Texas, and then seminary at Regent College. And it was th- during those years, the, this mid-late 90s, that I began doing these uh, internships at a church in Austin, Hope Chapel, where I began okay. to explore the place of the arts. And then went full-time 2001, pastor for about nine years, Duke for five, Fuller for seven. I have a <laughs> wife named Chaydra. She's a visual artist, gardener. She's a potions mistress, a potions mistress. <laughs> that's a, a Harry Potterism. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I was, I was she mixes say, that's potions. A, that's a cool title. Yeah, mixes for potions. Jesus. Um, yeah. She could be a right. C4SO person. Um, yeah. <laughs> I could be your title. Um, and then two kids, uh, Blythe and Sebastian. And um, yeah, and that's me, I guess. Wonderful, David. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I'm still thinking about the potions mistress uh, yeah. comment. That's, that's wonderful. Uh, that's, that's really fun. Um, 
I, I wanted to ask you this. I didn't, I didn't give you a heads up on this. But, um, Bishop Todd mentioned this as we were talking before we hit record here. But I was, I was looking up information on you because I wanted to make oh, sure I got your title yeah. right and that kind oh, of thing. You. And so I went to the Fuller ac- Acad- you know, mm. Academic mm-hmm. site where you're listed there. Right. And the banner photo mm. is you with Bono mm-hmm. and Eugene Peterson, mm-hmm. and I, well, who I assume to be Eugene Peterson's wife. Dan. Um, mm-hmm. t- tell, tell, us, like, tell us the story of that of that photo. We, did you Photoshop yourself into that photo? <laughs> mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. It was the stock photo. <laughs> stock and photo. Uh, I think it was the uh, edge that was in my place, but yeah, I, yeah, I have really good Photoshop right skills. Yeah. Um, um, no, but tell us the story of that. Oh, this is a long story. So the short version of it is I interviewed the two of them on two topics, their friendship and their common interest in the Psalms. That was okay. in um, April of 2015. And then a year later, a short film released okay. um, of that conversation. And, um, and then once a year, Bono emails me to tell me random things. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Just to tell you random things. Huh? Yeah. He, uh, he, he emailed sure. once that he was on vacation in South France with his family and he was reading a psalm that really caught his attention, and, and that's it. That's all he said. There was, there was no complete just, who, who, are, who are my psalm guys? <laughs> yeah. He's like, okay, that, that, that David yeah. Taylor guy, do I still have his email? Yeah, that's very sweet. <laughs> uh, that is sweet. That's wonderful. All right. Um, well, let's talk about our topic here. This is uh, part of our series on the gifts of Anglicanism for the body of Christ. Um, I've asked all of our guests this question, David. Did you grow up in the Anglican tradition? And if not, can you tell us the story of your journey into Anglicanism? What initially drew you? Mm -hmm. Uh, I did not grow up in the Anglican tradition. I grew up in what is called in the South, the Bible Church tradition. Okay. So that would be within the orbit of Dallas Theological Seminary for us. Mm -hmm. My uh, father was a professor at a seminary down in Guatemala City. And uh, it was evangelical, non-denom, you know, in, in those ways. It was, our upbringing uh, was very rich. We had a very lively sense of faith. Our, our congregation had a, a, a vibrant, uh, zealous love for God. And in some ways, you could say there was a, a charismatic feel to it because of the, um, I guess, combination of love, zealous love for God and, 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 and zealous um, commitment to evangelism and mission. So a sense of the presence of God without any kind of theology of of the hmm. empowering presence, to use Gordon Fee's language. Yeah. So it wasn't until, let's see, college uh, in Austin that I began to visit an Episcopal church during um, times of, uh, of Christmas, uh, Advent Christmas, and then uh, Lent. My mother grew up at an Episcopal church in Dallas. So we knew okay. that was sort of this thing, mm-hmm. in, in, you know, a, a reality in the background of our family history. But growing up in Guatemala, the contrast between low church evangelical Protestants and Roman Catholicism was always a very sharp one. Mm. That we are always defining ourselves by what we are not. Mm. Yep, we yep. are not Catholic in any sense whatsoever. Episcopalians you know, overlap too much for that to even be a viable option for us, mm. at least in our early imagination. But I began to visit, um, had a friend or two that went there and began to feel my heart kindled with affections hmm. for it. When I landed in Vancouver, British Columbia, I had enough of an appetite at that point for the liturgy that, uh, that first fall, fall of 95, I visited two churches, a Vineyard Church and mm-hmm. an Anglican Church. And mm-hmm. uh, Bishop Todd 
I came to the conclusion through much prayer and, and consideration that I could more easily take the vineyard with me into the Anglican Church than the <laughs> Anglican Church into the <laughs> yeah. vineyard. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's what your gift of wisdom. <laughs> so that's what I did. So I was in an Anglican Church there for five years, was confirmed in the Anglican Church of Canada, but then spent a season as a pastor in a non-denom charismatic church. When we went to Durham, North Carolina for my PhD, we landed in another Anglican yeah. church. Steve okay. Breedlove was the pastor, the rector at the time. Okay. Eventually became the bishop. Now a bishop, yep. And uh, so I was ordained to the diaconate there and then to the priesthood with Bishop Todd. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, so we've covered um, some more of the, in this series so far, we've covered some of the more granular ways mm-hmm. that our tradition marks time, right? Mm-hmm. So weekly Eucharist, you know, liturgy, going to church as a, as a, as a discipline. Um, but our topic today is a bit more broad. It's the church calendar um, and how that calendar helps us mark time in a, you know, in a bigger way, in a broader mm-hmm. way over mm-hmm. the course of a whole year. Um, I assume most of our listeners are familiar with the church calendar, but just in case, maybe mm-hmm. could you give us a really brief and uh, overview of what the church calendar is, uh, kind of what some of the major movements uh, inside the church calendar, just in mm-hmm. case? Sure. So you could say that there are three basic movements. Uh, mm-hmm. The one movement we call the cycle of light, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany. The second movement, a cycle of life, Lent, mm-hmm. the Tritium, and Easter. And then a third rhythm you could call the cycle of love. Pentecost hmm. and ordinary time. I think it's helpful for us to remember that this sense of a calendric notion of life, a, a time-construed experience of, of worship and faith, was, was endemic to the early believers. Hmm. Uh, they would have been you know, deeply formed by the rhythm of Jewish feasts, by the rhythm of day and night, you know, that that language of night and day, morning and evening is, is, is you know, part of the warp and woof of all yeah. of Jewish faithful yeah. living. So there's nothing actually strange <clears throat> or antithetical to the original Christian community uh, in this idea of living uh, into this larger rhythm of time yeah. that sort of carries you through these large sort of uh, narrative you know, highlight points of Christ's life, mm-hmm. as well as um, what is sometimes called the, the, the sanctorial, sort of the, the sense in which you're celebrating how God has been faithfully at work in the life of those who have been faithful, especially faithful, you know, holy, yeah. holy lives, saint lives. Um, hmm. So it begins with this profound sense that Sunday, this seventh day, is now the Lord's day, right? So yeah. the, the climax would have been Sabbath for everyone, the sixth day as it were, in our sense of time. But now we have the resurrection is now dominating their sense of time. Mm -hmm. And so that is a feast day, uh, Mm -hmm. which actually, the very earliest, um, you know, decades, centuries, begins with a vigil the night before. So you already have Mm -hmm. some sense of a 24-hour little festival of some sort. And then once you get into, you you do see sort of traces of it in the early centuries, uh, the, the centuries of persecution uh, and, and duress. Um, but it, but it's once you get into the three hundreds, the early three hundreds, and then of course when you know Christians are no longer a, a, a political, uh, religious persecuted minority, that they have freedom to to venture out, and so you have these pilgrimages mm. that take place to go be where Jesus was. Yeah. 
Mm. And so this fervent interest in the where of Jesus begins to translate into a when. Okay. So where did Jesus do things? Well, he he <clears throat> he rode the donkey, you know, here. Yeah. When did he yeah. a week before? And then what did he yeah. do? He did these things. And then when did yeah. he wash feet? And then you know, so yeah. the whereness begins to sort of translate into a a a, a, a whenness. Hmm. And um, a, a second thing I think that is helpful to understand, and again, I guess when I talk to my students or when I talk to folks that are coming new into Anglicanism who may feel this is a, a foreign thing, an interpolation, a, a something uh, in opposition you know, to true gospel life, true Christian faith, I'm always saying, no, it's actually at the heart of it. Yeah. So in the same way that we see these patterns of, of wilderness uh, you know, life, years, uh, uh, periods of repentance, of penance, of penitence, of lessness, of simplicity, of fasting, whether in Israel's life or in Jesus' life, Christians begin to wonder, how could we live out the imitation of Christ in the fullest mm-hmm. sense of mm-hmm. our lives? So, they're not after the most minimal experience of a gospel-shaped life. They're, they're interested in the maximal because they are they're coming out of a maximal sort of yeah. register that every square inch of the cosmos is under the right. sovereign care, right? you know, and under sort of the construal of the triune God. Uh, yeah. there's, there's no, what I tell my students is there's no neutral time, there's no mere time. Every yeah. idea of time is culturally construed and is ordered according to a story. So the early Christians are trying to say, what story do we want to live into? It's the story of Jesus's life. Yes. So how can we do that most fully, most thoroughly? So there's no, no fabric in our lives that is left on the cutting room floor of the sanctifying yeah. work of the Spirit. So wow. the baptismal sort of <clears throat> process of these candidates it, before Constantine comes, you know, into play is very rigorous, right? It, yeah, it means right. a lot to, to become a public proclaimer of Jesus's name. So you have this time of, of preparation, and then it, from the earliest time, Easter uh, Sunday was the day in which you did baptisms. Mm-hmm. And so they began to discern that there is this pattern in, in Israel's life, Jesus' life. Forty seems like something that God is interested in. Yeah. Perhaps, you know, we'll throw ourselves into this 40-dayness. But really, it was actually originally two to three years long of preparation. Right. Uh, but then right. it sort of shrunk down to 40. And so then you back it up, and then that's where you get your penitential your season yeah. of, of Lent. Of, of Lent. Yeah. And then Advent is one of the latest seasons to come into play, but still fourth century. So it's pretty early yeah. Yeah. where you have a sense of wanting to be prepared for the coming of Christ. So that's why it's nicknamed the Little Lent. Little Lent, right. Mm-hmm. So those are the yeah. big, you know, the yes. big ones. And then yeah. Pentecost launches into, you know, this, Depending on what your tradition is, it's either called the time after Pentecost or the time after Trinity, right. uh, after Trinity yeah. Sunday or Pentecost Sunday. Um, and the Pentecost, of course, is the coming of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit to the church for the sake of the world, which is why all of this ordinary time is saturated with hmm. uh, a spirited mentality, as it were. Yeah. Or if you go with Trinity Sunday, it's a sense that, that the Trinity is the theological climax of the church's life. That is this confession, yeah. this true full confession of the mystery 
of the nature and character of God is triune. And so now you live in light of the triunity of God yeah. in every sphere of your life. So yeah. again, three major sort of rhythms and two sort of orbit around Jesus' life, one around the Holy Spirit's life. Yeah, that that's uh, that. I feel like I just uh, got a master's degree. Yeah, that's, thank you, David. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, um, you're welcome. Yes, yeah, that's great. Um, you you reflected on this a little bit. I I really appreciate your words, um, just about how the the early Christians' experience of like life in Christ through the Holy Spirit made them want to create this mm. sense of like living. It's like man, everything has changed because of the resurrection. Mm. So. Everything changes about how we celebrate time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've alluded to some of this, but I, I wonder if you could reflect just a little bit on how, in general, the way we mark time forms us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most of us are familiar with like birthdays, and, mm-hmm. you know, not just Christian calendar stuff, but American calendar stuff, or just like life stuff, like birthdays sure. and things like sure, that. Sure, 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 sure. So, like, what, you know, these annual rhythms that we return to rituals and practices, how do those shape and form us uh, just in general, the way that we mark time? You have any reflections on that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, so so let me just repeat. These are these are three theses that I give to my students. Three sort of assertions. Um, the first being that there's no such thing as mere time. Right. There's only culturally construed time. There's no such thing as neutral time. There's only a time time that tells a story. Right. Every idea of time is telling a story, whether it's the story of the Greco-Roman gods or the Norse gods or, you know, Jewish history or Islamic history. Like mm-hmm. the, the Muslim calendar goes back to 622 when Muhammad and his, his followers do a pilgrimage right. from Mecca to Medina. So that's the beginning. So that's right. true time begins mm-hmm. there. Um, the French revolutionaries... Uh, in the aftermath of the French Revolution, said, let's get, away, get rid of all this religious and royalist stuff and let's come up with our own calendar. And so they right. made up their calendar and it was that all the n- names of the month were after what you most felt uh, you know, at that time of the year, windy or flurry or warm or cold yeah, or cold-ish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Americans have our own you know, culturally construed sense of time and I would say it's embedded in two ways. One, we have this very, uh, uh, as it were, economical notion of time. That is, all time is informed and, uh, and, and formed by economics. So okay. even our language is freighted with sort of this market commercial uh, economics idea. So you're wasting my time. I don't have the time. I'm living spending on bar time. the time. I'm spending yeah. time. Yeah. All these verbs, to state the obvious, aren't neutral because right. they're, 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 they're language that then is sort of forming our neurons and our desires and what we mm. want in time, right? So right. we want to make the most of our time to use Bible language, but then that gets laundered in sort of this American idea of you know, maximizing time right. for profit's yeah. sake. Investing. A- investing, yeah, yeah, all this yeah, kind of language, yeah, right? Yeah. And so it governs when we wake up and what we do in the middle of the day and at the end of the day and when we go to sleep and then how we compare wow. ourselves to one another. What did you do with your time? What did you do with right. your hours of the day? You know, And we right. give an accounting of yes. <laughs> our <laughs> own lives. So there's that, which I think is, is, is 
a dangerous um, virus, if I can put it that way. I mean, I don't want to say it's all bad. It's okay to be a good steward of one's time. But a steward that is sort of translated in gardening language is very different than steward than is translated into accounting and marketing and economics and finance. And, you know, they send us in very different directions. Right. Okay. So that's one thing I tell my students. (laughs) A second thing I, I do with my students is I ask them, what is the story that America tells through its calendar, the Gregorian calendar or the civic mm-hmm. secular kind of calendar? And so I put them through an exercise to start off kind of this exploration. I say, well, let, let's, let's map out, you know, the major holy days of our civic calendar. So we have New mm-hmm. Year's, we have Valentine's, we have Easter, we have uh, Mother's Day, Memorial Day, uh, Independence Day, Labor Day, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Eve. Right. Yeah. So those yeah. are the major ones. Uh-huh. Um, and then I say, uh, describe to me or write down or get in small groups and tell me for each holiday, what is the key symbol, the hmm. key message, and the key practice? And then fourthly, tell me what it wants most from you. That hmm. is, what is the ideal outcome of an experience of Valentine's Day? Right. 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 And then, you know, what's the key symbol? What's the key message? what's the key practice and what does it desire from you that is the every idea of time in this sense sort of the civic time is telling a story of the happy fulfilled you know deeply satisfied life and if you do Mm. these things you will be a happy you know human being so they do this exercise for a while and then we get back together and uh so then i ask them you know uh, what's the key idea about uh beginning that is new year's eve Mm-hmm. How does the American calendar define for us what a true beginning is, a real mm-hmm. beginning, a happy beginning, a fulfilled beginning? Mm-hmm. And it's usually a self-generated idea of beginning, like you are the master of your beginning right. or beginnings right. are irrelevant, right? Or they're so mm-hmm. stress-inducing that you just ignore <laughs> them altogether because they're yeah. terrifying, right? Because beginnings right. involve some kind of commitment or responsibility yeah. or, or accountability, yeah. right, for it. And then what kind of ideas about love is the holiday of Valentine conveying to us? And then regeneration and mothers. And why is it that mothers get more, you know, uh, airtime than fathers? Like, where does that come from? I just forced my students to really kind of, you know, do a little bit of work of reflection. Ideas about war, liberty, work, death, gratitude, gift, and endings. They're all telling a story of what it means to be truly human, truly alive. What I suggest to my students is that unfortunately the the liturgical calendar of, you know, the civic calendar is market-driven. Right. And, And by that I simply mean that the market is establishing the terms upon which we then discern or describe, you know, mm-hmm. what it means to be alive. The market and then is going to come alongside the national calendar. Okay. All of these are at some level contested territory, right? When we right. celebrate Thanksgiving, is that a straightforward affair? Not if we listen to our indigenous brothers and sisters in Christ and the stories right. that they would want to tell. Right. Certainly not Valentine's Day, right? <laughs> right. It has nothing right. to do with St. Valentine's in any right. way right. whatsoever. So again, sort of the, at the end of it all is that I tell my students that this calendar is forming our desires, it's shaping our capacities to imagine the world in a very sp- particular way. It's confirming or disturbing our emotional instincts. 
while also activating our senses, you know, mm-hmm. sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, right? So they're all embodied practices, yeah, which is right. why they literally get under our skin and begin, you know, in- forming instincts in us, mm. which is why so many of our holiday family or social gatherings are fraught because we bring to it, you know, conflicting and, and contested sort of desires. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then it's reconfiguring our identity over time. In many ways, not every way, but in many ways, it is doing so in a way that is fighting against the demanding patterns of the gospel. Yes, right. Uh, and so most of our holidays, for example, are, are exercises, let's see, I'll say it neutrally, are exercises in feasting. Right. Uh, in, in abundance, in extravagance. At worst, let's right. call it gluttony or excess. Yeah. There's not a single one, except maybe Memorial Day, that has mm-hmm. some element of less than this, right? Of yeah. mourning, repentance, sober mm-hmm. reflection. But everything else is all about, you know, excess of some <laughs> sort or another extravagance. And the gospel is just, that's only half the story of the gospel. The gospel yeah. certainly includes stories of feasting, but half the yeah. gospel story is, you know, one, as it were, of fasting. Hmm. So, um, I think that's why Christmas is one of the most, um, it is, I'm going to say it a little bit strongly because obviously I'd want to nuance myself, but I think it's the one that fights most forcefully against the actual gospel. That is the <laughs> season of Christmas as we celebrate it in America. In America I'm not going to speak yeah. for any other country in the world. Sure. Um, but the story that Matthew 1 tells and that Luke 1 and 2 tells has very, very little to do with the way that Christmas is celebrated in America. Yeah. And I wrote an essay about that for Christianity Day a couple of years ago, <clears throat> why putting Christ back in Christmas isn't enough, just to tell the story of Christmas, like the history of Christmas, and right. why the gospel story yeah. is inviting yeah. us to a, a much deeper, but also more demanding, but more thoroughgoingly life-giving experience. Hey everybody, welcome once again. It is time for the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we highlight the specific ministry we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. And this week we are praying for Resurrection South Austin, which is in Austin, Texas. And uh, today, the newly ordained to the priesthood, Reverend Ryan Betcher, who is one of the priests at Resurrection South Austin, has joined us to share briefly what's going on right now and how we can pray for them. Ryan, welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah. All right. Hopefully, but maybe by the time this airs, you will have figured out what your official title is now that you're yeah. recently ordained. And Yeah. I feel like I still don't know what it is now, whatever my... Okay. <laughs> so, yes. It, yeah. I've been here for two years, so I feel like maybe in, a, in two years... Yeah, maybe 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 now you'll figure it out. Um, well, anyway, welcome to this uh, little segment of our uh, podcast. Can you tell us one thing that you're encouraged by uh, right now that's happening at Resurrection South Austin? Yeah, I think I'm really encouraged by. Um, I think surprised, like, um, by just you know we're still in the pandemic, of course, um, right? But we've you know we've been able to. Um, adjust things so that we can be, you know, in person and Mm -hmm. the number of new people who have just showed up and are just, just interested and intrigued by the things we're doing. We're kind of overwhelmed right now. It's, it's 
a great surprise, obviously. Yeah. Um, just people who are, I think, took the pandemic to kind of rethink like church and what they wanted and what yeah, they were looking for. And, and we're just, yeah, they, they found us out. And we also have a lot of new people coming into Austin. I'm sure a lot of people know about that, but people from mm-hmm. California, the coast, um, all over the place are just, it seems like there's a huge influx. So we've got some of that as well, but, um, yeah, just encouraged by the people who are just really wanting to take church seriously right now and have found us and kind of in that, in that, um, journey for them. And, so we're just excited about all these great people coming. That's wonderful. A wonderful um, problem to have. Yeah. Um, and a, something to, that's very encouraging. Uh, on the flip side, uh, what's a challenge that you guys are facing right now that you can share? Yeah, I think um, I think the biggest challenge, and I'm sure other churches are feeling some of this, but I think there is uh, just, you know, in, in the middle of the pandemic, there's a weariness um, that we're all feeling um, as leaders. Uh, we're feeling that. Um, just some of the pressures that are coming with all the decisions that need to be made, all the things we're trying to consider and, and, and how we're pastoring people. Um, so there's a, a weariness involved. And just as we kind of get back into, um, you know, as we've gotten back into in-person services, you know, people are having to like, remember how to do church again, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, Oh yeah, we have to serve. And, yes. you know, so we have a lot of like, this influx of new people, especially is kind of, I think, um, for us, we moved to two services because we've had so many people and that just means a lot more serving opportunities and a lot of, you know, we're just kind of getting back into the swing of things and trying to flex that and figure out what that means. So, so it's a, it's also an, uh, a great problem to have, but it, it does mean, um, I think we're just, there's a, a bit of weariness around that. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, in light of all this, how can we pray specifically for you and for Resurrection South Austin right now? Yeah, I think just be praying for for wisdom and courage. Mm-hmm. And uh, just in this season of just so much going on in the world, so much going on in, in um, just the Anglican world, so much going on in just even our own city and in our community itself, like just for wisdom and clarity on how to navigate a lot of the big issues that are kind of coming at us and not just in the, in the world and like out there, but also, I mean, a lot of that stuff is actually um, directly affecting us as a, as a congregation. So we're, yeah. we're feeling that and we want to lead really well during, in the midst of all this stuff going on. So, yeah. Amen. Wisdom and courage. Um, Ryan, thanks for joining us today. Yeah. It's been great. Absolutely. Uh, listeners, if you'd like to find out more about Resurrection Th- South Austin or maybe even contribute to their work um, or volunteer, be on one of their service teams if you want to move to South Austin, Do it. Um, you can check you. out the link in the show notes. Brian, thanks again. I, I've found myself thinking more about <clears throat> just a little aside uh, that David used when he was at Regent in Vancouver of Vineyard and, a, and an Anglican church. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me, David, of the many times, especially with undergraduate students, mm. um, when I would, uh, I, would, I would make them or they would come to extra credit for Ash Wednesday or just come to a Sunday service. Like when I was teaching in evangelism to undergraduates, I'd say, come to an Anglican service and Tell me whether or not you can hear the gospel there, mm-hmm. you know, versus, you know, what you think of a church sure. as an altar call and all that. Mm-hmm. 
So in the years that I've uh, been an Anglican, David, if you say the word calendar, you, you kind of automatically think of rhythm, habit, practice. You know, there's a, a, a word cluster around mm-hmm. the cyclicalness mm-hmm. of, of the Christian calendar. And then I know you know this, but then there's this other sort of more non-liturgical evangelicalism that wants to say no spontane- spontaneity <laughs> and wants to say personal, sure. meaning like this is honest. Like I'll never mm-hmm. forget the day sure. one of my students said to me, Todd, why would I pray using someone else's prayers? Right. Isn't that like right. the definite, someone else's words? Like, isn't that the definition of hypocrisy? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't I be praying my own personal prayers? Mm-hmm. And then you hear people talk about the relationality, you know, in more of sort of an evangelical vibe of, well, it's just me and God. Like how, how, did, how could, I don't mean to set up like a big argument sure. here, but just <laughs> to, for you to tease out a little bit more of the the discipleship goodness mm. of things like rhythm, habit, sure. practice. Sure. Um, I mean, coming out of you know the evangelical tradition. I mean, I, I still am in the evangelical tradition. Coming out of the Bible Church tradition, and then spending many many years in the charismatic tradition, I, I am grateful for all, all the gifts that it gave me, and I retain them. Um, so I have not rejected those. Um, I may have sort of rejected or set aside certain, uh, I don't know if you can say sort of extremes or, or quirks or, or uh, aspects that I found, uh, I don't know, not, not deeply thoroughgoingly satisfying for my discipleship. So I guess I would say um, that God loves, and let's just say the Anglican tradition I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but let's say God loves and the Anglican tradition loves deeply personal experiences of, of him. Um, God loves and the Anglican tradition uh, values moments of instantaneous encounter um, with him. Moments of sudden clarity or, or uh, intense affection or transformation in our own lives. Um, God loves in the Anglican tradition also deeply values moments of spontaneity where we are attuned in the moment, in real time, to the very real work of the Holy Spirit here and now in our particularity and, and, and honoring those. And those are, I would say, endemic. And God loves and the Anglican tradition also deeply values authentic worship uh, in, in the same way that when I made my vows to my wife, Phaedra, at the altar a number of years back, I said words to, to her that were written words. They were words given to me. I did not craft my own vows. Personally, I'm not a big fan of those. <laughs> but even <laughs> if I were a fan of those, there, there are many, many people and friends of mine who have written their vows and then said them, but they wrote them, mm-hmm. Right. They actually wrote them and then they said them because they wanted to give some thought, some care-filled thought to what they would say. And for me, that moment at the altar was profoundly authentic. I meant every word of it with every fiber in my being. And in the years to come, uh, you know, months, weeks, days, hours, minutes, when I say I love you to my wife, um, I say those words in a whole range of registers. Uh, Mm. Some moments... 
uh, I come back from a trip and I jump on the bed late at night. <laughs> She's waiting for me and I say, I love you. Uh, and other way, other days, it's a more quiet, like, babe, mm-hmm. I love you. We're going to make it. And all of those are authentic for me. So it's not only one version of I love you is to be construed as authentic. Like authenticity mm-hmm. is this expansive mm-hmm. range of, of tonalities, as it were, or frequencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I would also say that the communality, commun- communal, communalness, <laughs> uh, the historicalness, the traditionness of the church calendar or liturgical calendar is also endemic to Holy Scripture. This is not a strange territory yeah. um, to, to the world of the Bible. In actual fact, we can just point to the Psalms and the Lord's Prayer as mm. two given sets of words that are commended to us. Whenever you pray, pray this way. Whenever you yeah. celebrate the Lord's Supper, say these words. Yeah. Um, that... It, it, those are that's never intended to be mutually exclusive with some mm-hmm. moment of spontaneity insight yeah. or a commentary or a, a, wor- a silent word of prayer as I come to receive these things. Long mm-hmm. and short of it is, I think you know many of my friends and and, and my upbringing. Um, how to say this gently? I, I guess they've simply failed to see so many things that belong to the Anglican tradition are already there in Scripture, are already deeply integral to genuine following of Jesus. And I think Mm -hmm. Anglicans are simply drawing those out and showing sort of a larger arc of patterns and continuity in the work Mm -hmm. of the Spirit, who is the Lord and giver of life of both form and freedom, both spontaneity and tradition. Yeah. I think, too, that was really well said. And I think, too, we sometimes forget how often we do this in other arenas of life, right? Like the national anthem, yeah. our words given to us to, right. you know, pledge yeah. our allegiance, right, sure. uh, to to yeah. our nation or that kind of a thing. Um, or like soccer chants, like soccer songs <laughs> yeah. that get sung, yes. you know, in English soccer games. It's like these are, yeah, these are words that, you know, it's like, yeah, yes, I'm going to— absolutely. But, they're heartfelt, right? Yes. But they're words that are given. It's like, I didn't write that song, but that's right. I love it. You know, V-I-C-T-O-R-Y, I'm it, you know? that's our battle cry. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, uh, or, or, you know, Mo Salah, uh, too. Anyway, he's, yeah. uh, there's there's a chant uh, that they have for him. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> for, yeah, li- Liverpool's... A Liverpool, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, Liverpool fan. You're a Liverpool fan, aren't you? Bit, I David? love the way they play soccer. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's right. You, yeah. We've interacted online about this, so anyway. <laughs> Uh, they've been playing well so far this season. So they have. I'm, I'm very impressed. Very sorry about the, uh, the injury to Elliot. Yeah, Harvey young, Elliott, young man. <laughs> what a great young player. All right. Sorry, we're getting uh, – this is insider baseball here. Um, David, I wanted to ask you this. Um, you mentioned that Christmas, in your mind, stands out as the holiday where the American celebrating of it contrasts most greatly mm. with maybe a, a, a way of celebrating it that would form us as, as Christians, as disciples of Jesus. Um, can you speak a little bit to that? Um, how, what are the, what are the, what do we, what do we need to keep in mind as we, as we do these things? Cause I, I think sometimes people hear that and they, and they think, well, what am I supposed to do? Just like refuse to celebrate Christmas, <laughs> you know, like ne- don't go right. shopping sure. or like, like, what do I do? 
like, what are some things for people to keep in mind if they want to engage, Mm -hmm. say, this Christmas and Advent season a little bit more thoughtfully in terms of like, how do I engage this as a disciple of Jesus Mm -hmm. and receive the gift that this season could be to me in my formation? Well, I would say that our embodiment of our devotion to to Jesus, uh, our practices of prayer and worship, um, any other thing that we would want to uh, adopt during this, you know, season of, mm-hmm. of, you know, Christmas before Christmas and during and after Christmas, is yeah. very personal and contextual at some level. That right. is, some of us may be surrounded by a group of people who are very receptive to this other way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it'd be easy to adopt some of these practices of Advent or the 12 days of Christmas or, you know, Epiphany. Yeah. Others yeah. of us may be in communities where it's just a little bit more difficult. So the social mm-hmm. pressures are a little bit more intense. And, and I, I don't think you should wake up and try to be <laughs> the most contrarian, you know, in your neighborhood or in your community yeah. or, or, you know, your soccer mom, you know, group. Yeah. Of friends, I think there are ways that we can be tactful and diplomatic, and and, and you know, and um, fitting yeah. in our practices. I mean, we lived mm-hmm. in a neighborhood in Houston for uh, five years that uh, you know, in all of Houston, Texas, uh, the millions of humans that lived in in Houston would want to drive out to this small neighborhood in sort of the town of Richmond, southwest of Houston, in order to see the lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, because our neighborhood just went crazy with, with lights. Light. I mean, the, the yeah. social pressure to put lights, not just little <laughs> dinky lights, but thousands and tens of thousands of dollars was extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And we resented it, right? And mm-hmm. we wanted to put up Orthodox icons in our front yard. <laughs> we didn't um, because we right. felt that that would actually not be missional. That would not right. actually bless our neighbors. It would be like cursing them with a loud blessing in the morning. Um <laughs> But I think there are small things that can be done. And again, mm-hmm. it may be the case that one person in the family, like husband mm-hmm. or wife or teenage you know, child, is drawn to this, but the rest of the family is not. Right, and so, right. again, so much is a personal, communal, you know, contextual kind of thing. Yeah. But I think there are, there, there are some things that can be done. And obviously, you, know, you can put this in the show notes, the, the, the link to the article that I wrote, because I, I address that concern. Because okay. I, I think we need to be pastorally sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. Um, mindful that we are citizens of another uh, kingdom, right? We are pilgrims, but we're also gardeners. We're sojourners, mm-hmm. but we're also dwellers in the city. So how mm-hmm. do we be present to, you know, all the blow-ups, you know, yeah. of, yeah. of, you know, Peanuts cartoon characters and Frozen and Minions? And how do we participate <laughs> that without being, again, kind of grumpy and, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. oppositional. I, I just, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a great way to, to show love for our neighbors. But perhaps we can start small. Uh, perhaps we can find some kindred people to do it with. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if you're an Anglican congregation, there are things, there are more things that can be done. And uh, I'll send you a bunch of links that I have, you know, to I know we're going to talk about it maybe at the end of this, but suggestions yeah. that, you know, individuals and families could do. Mm-hmm. But one thing I would say is, Read, read Luke 1 and 2 again. Okay. And maybe I'll just suggest this as an actual practice. Um, read each episode um, as its own little sort of self-contained story. 
and, and prayerfully consider um, what it means to live faithfully today in light of, um, you know, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit to Mary and to Elizabeth and to Zacharias and say, um, how can I in the season of Advent Christmas be open and alert to the living work of the Holy Spirit in my life? And the reason why I say it's important is because very, very scant evidence is on offer in our Christmas carols with respect to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think that is malforming us. Because it's making us believe that Christmas is a Benetarian activity, when in fact it is a profoundly <laughs> Trinitarian activity. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if what we sing and the pressure that mm-hmm. is placed upon our worship leaders or our music directors to sing these carols that we have always sung, which in right. fact we've not always sung, They're the vast majority, 95% of our carols are from the last 150 years. And very little of them are truly Trinitarian in, in right. sort of in, in contour and content. So what does it mean to be open to the Holy Spirit? Second, I would say pay attention to all the moments of loss or grief or um, trouble mm-hmm. um, of one sort or another. So Mary um, is going to experience some kind of lament <laughs> very sort of explicitly in the words that Simeon speaks to her, right? right. So. Yeah. You had this child, but now yeah. a sword will pierce her soul. So yeah. what does it mean to be attuned to Mary's lament? What does mm-hmm. it mean to be attuned to Zechariah and Elizabeth's implicit lament in the fact that they're bringing a child into the world in their grandparent years, and there's no evidence of them being around when John is, is an adult? So the sorrow mm-hmm. that they live with, knowing that they have such numbered days to be able to enjoy mm-hmm. this gift, right? Yeah. And then Joseph, his lament with respect to like all that he imagined his life would turn out to be as a mm-hmm. father, as a husband. Yeah. None of that turns out. That is not the story that is given to him. And it is, in fact, given to him, even mm-hmm. though he chooses in faith to you know, receive it. And mm-hmm. again, of course, the most obvious elements like you know, the flight to Egypt is a story of lament. The yes. voice of Rachel yes. weeping for her children who are no more. So what does it mean for us? to be attuned to our own and to our other and to others around us and to our neighbors' experiences of sorrow, grief, yes. lament, loss, trouble, tragedy. And then most really determinatively and decisively, what does it mean for us as church leaders to make space yes. in lament for active, purposeful um, you know, responses or experiences or songs of lament? You know? Mm. Now the thing that's ironic um, is that Advent and Christmas, as we experience it, actually don't map on to the stories in the Gospels. And I've I've been in this project with a friend of mine, Lester Ruth, who's a liturgical historian at Duke, and then another friend, Noel Schneider, who teaches at Calvin uh, Theological Seminary at Calvin College, to gather songwriters to write new Christmas hymns, new Christmas songs. Um, But we realized we kept bumping up against sort of the, sort of the, you know, the dissonance with the language of Christmas. Because mm-hmm. when we gathered songwriters, and we did it in Nashville, we did it in Grand Rapids, we did it in Houston, we'll do one in Los Angeles and then one in New York City. We realized that people had in their minds happy songs. 
And we were trying to get them away from thinking Christmas music is happy music. So we retitled the whole project Nativity Songs, which in Mm. fact is how Charles Wesley titles all of his his songs related to their Nativity Songs or Incarnation Songs. And so then that opened up a different narrative arc for us, that the Nativity Songs are making place on Christmas Day, even for sort of hints or minor key sort of Mm-hmm. you know, frequencies or, mm-hmm. or, or notes to come into our joyful, joyful. And in a way, I think it remains faithful to the Psalms of praise themselves, many of which actually include elements of lament. Yes. So, much of that is going to be foreign and like t- too yeah. disruptive to try to say Christmas morning, we're going to like sing a lament song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it would be actually faithful to the gospel stories themselves, right? right? right. And yeah. then again, Christmas for many of us is a one-off, instantaneous, spontaneous moment of, you know, effusive joy. Right. And then there's a vacation. Right. But what does it mean for us to lean into, like living into these, you know, aspects of the nativity story? Hmm. Because sometimes it takes time. Okay. Yeah. So, those are just some thoughts like, I think maybe easy handholds is to pay attention to hmm. these elements of the nativity stories and then maybe partner yeah. up with your family or friends or folks in your community or congregation to say, hey, could we do one thing to pay greater attention so that we might more deeply be formed into the life of Jesus in this season? Yeah, that's really well said. I I think sometimes, you know, when we think about engaging missionally um, and engaging in a way that forms us, we do think in terms of like, how do I get other people to, you know, to think this way, or how do I get Mm. other people to realize, you know, something. But I think, you know, part of the wisdom of what you're saying is, no, that it starts with us. Like, how do I enter into the darker Mm -hmm. elements Mm -hmm. of this story and Mm -hmm. don't just get sucked into the saccharine (laughs) sentimentality of it? Um, So, I think that's really well said. We we are running low on time, David, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. (laughs) Okay. And then I'm going to ask you just if you can give us an example of one way that um, celebrating the Christian calendar has has formed you or okay. your family? Like, okay. what's something that's changed for you over okay. that uh, time? Absolutely. So, um, I'm giving you that heads up. And now we're going to go into the rapid fire questions, let's okay? So, let's this let's is let's something it. we just started doing. Um, I don't know if we're very yeah. good at it yet, but rapid fire just means... Here you like go, David. You Here's where you earn your big bucks. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You, don't, you don't get to explain yourself. You just have to say it and let it sit there. You got okay? it. You got it. Okay. All right. So, what is the last book that you finished? Any genre? Okay. I just finished reading Alexander McCall Smith's book, Law's Orchestra Saves the World. <laughs> Utterly okay. delightful. I All loved right. it. Wonderful. Yes. All right. Uh, what is the most obscure holiday or feast day on the church calendar that you've observed? Okay. As a family, in recent years, we have celebrated St. Lucia's Day, which is December mm. 13th. It commemorates okay. uh, Lucy of Syracuse in the early 4th century. She was a virgin martyr who brought food and aid to uh, Christians in persecuted contexts, usually in catacombs, and she would wear a wreath on her head with candles in it so her mm. hands would be free to bring as much food and aid to them as possible. So, it's, it's a wonderful and that right there is why he's on the podcast. That's right. Yeah, we, yeah. We, get to, we get to know about St. Lucia's Day. So December 13th, okay? Yes, sir. Watch, yes, sir. watch for it. Yes, Let's sir. mark it down. Uh, okay, what is your favorite part of the church here and why? Okay, my favorite part is Lent because I hate it and dread it, and then eventually I love it. I, like every year I dread Ash Wednesday because I yeah. know it's going to ask yeah. things of me. But mm. by middle of, of the season, I just feel this 
profound sense of, of relief of, of unencumbering myself, you know, mm. because I've adopted yeah. these practices of, of, you know, abnegation okay. with others. Uh, oh, I just, I feel lighter. I'm like, yes. Okay. I, yeah. Let me just say, when I was a pastor many, many years ago, a, a, a number of us, different families and single people would do let together and really go all in. And then Sunday, we all did this just breaking the bank feast. Uh, mm. And it was so deeply satisfying because we'd all suffered together and then we were celebrating mm. together. It was wonderful. Okay. That's lit. awesome. Yes. Very good. All right. So uh, least favorite part of the church year and why? Christmas Day. Christmas Day. And why? Uh, I get pretty grumpy on Christmas Day <laughs> <laughs> because I, I I have read enough history and <laughs> I have written enough theology to know what that day could be. And uh, uh, so I get I get pretty. It feels grumpy. like anticlimactic. It's very yeah. much so, and I just keep okay. it to myself. And I try, you know, not to be a spoil sport or a wet blanket to anybody around me. <laughs> Who's having a great time? Having a great time. It's totally fine. Totally fine. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very good. Um, what's your favorite American holiday, and why? Okay, I hope this is okay for me to say, but Halloween. Uh, <laughs> I know Halloween is is maybe troubling to some, but growing up in Guatemala, we would come up to the states every two or three years and go to my grandparents uh, hmm. for about three months during like October to January because that's our, our that's when our holidays were. And so the first thing we got to experience was Halloween. We dress up and get so much amazing American candy. So I from a child's age, have this uh, visceral uh, attachment to Halloween. Also, my my wife, Ada, and I love to dress up. So every year we <laughs> dress great. up in the most crazy costumes possible. Oh, lovely. All right. What is the most overrated American holiday, in your opinion, and why? Uh, Valentine's Day. <laughs> I think it's noxious and toxic and terrible. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, yes. It's uh, miserable. I'm, Yes, it's, it, it's it's the day where so many people stress out and are without, and then don't meet yeah. expectations. I yeah. hate it. Oh yeah. come on, David! Hallmark it. is one of our sponsors of yeah. this podcast. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sorry. I have strong opinions. I apologize. That, the, I, uh, I I don't tell my don't tell my wife. No, I'm kidding. You tell my wife. But, uh, I I'm in full agreement with you uh, both on both of those uh, counts. Okay. I love Halloween and hate Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, it is very much very much true. All right. Uh, you did great, David. Um, oh, thank you. That was a great rapid fire round. Got a little sweaty on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad you, we made it through. Uh, we got I, one final question for okay. you. Um, what? Uh, and we'll put resources in the in the show notes um, that you'll send to me. Um, and I think you've already given us some really good okay. um, practical ways to kind of lean into um, some of the tensions mm-hmm. uh, that we have around the church calendar. But there's there's a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. there. So I'm appreciative of that. Can you just reflect with me? Um, with us and our listeners, just name some ways that celebrating the church calendar has shaped and formed you. What what has sort of changed in your outlook and your perspective and your in your formation and your character? Like what's changed for you as you've that you can attribute to? This is something that has happened because we've celebrated something specifically in the church mm-hmm, calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, let me mention two things. Um, one during the season of Lent. We haven't done this perfectly, so I'll I'll admit to that out loud. But every year, our family tries to observe six days a week because the seventh day is Sunday is is always a feast day. But at dinner, from dinner onwards, we don't use electricity. That is, we don't turn lights on. Okay. Or turn on computers or any kind of gadgets. 
So we eat dinner uh, under candlelight and we go to bed. You know, with when it candles. gets dark, it's yeah, like, well, it, then now it's, yeah. there's not enough light to live. So go if to we bed. read books with the kids, you know, <laughs> read it with a candle. Um, okay. And I, I think that has done two things for us. Um, it's just sort of this gentle, gracious reminder of all the people who hmm. go without, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, around the world. Uh, um, we've, Peter and I have created um, these prayer cards, um, that have helped us uh, have some kind of activity that we practice, um, yeah. every day during Advent and, you know, certain days, uh, throughout Lent so that the kids can be participating. And so to, in the season of Lent, the season of want, season of simplicity, the season of abnegation, trying to attune our hearts, our minds, uh, our, our children's hearts and minds to those who are without, without, yeah. Yes. And so going without, it's not an extreme hardship. It's inconvenient. It's always inconvenient mm-hmm. because we're mm-hmm. always wanting to turn a light on for some reason. <laughs> um, but it is sort of eventually it catches on. Um, yeah. and, uh, and we find ourselves slowing down and, and asking God to cultivate in our hearts mm. care for those who are without in some form yeah. or another. Yeah. And then I think the second thing is, you know, Advent and then Lent, especially, um, trying to figure out things that we do every day, and if not every day, you know, throughout the week. It's just a wonderful reminder that God is in the business of taking his time in reforming us. And that's good, I mean, for me, for Phaedra, for the kids to remember when we get impatient or desperate, and we are impatient Mm. and desperate a lot of the time. For, you know, hurts or pains or prayers that have not been answered for such a long time that that God hmm. in his, you know, mysterious counsel takes his time. And yeah. so in as much as we are submitting to a process, you know, in mm-hmm. this lengthy observance, it's just this gentle c- conscious reminder um, of... The fact that somehow God deems it good to take a long, long time, in some yeah. cases 400 years, to set up a move. Right. And right. that's that's hard, but it's good. <laughs> yeah. Hard but good. Yeah. Hard but good. Yeah. So solidarity in suffering and yeah. patience in mm-hmm. suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. And then, good. you know, I have a whole list of resources I'm happy to you know, send to yeah. you, like, Good Fantastic. kind of like accessible introductions to the liturgical calendar, some historical resources, some Lovely. like family friendly, bite sized kind of things that people can yes. do together. So awesome. I'll, I'll just I'll pass these along. Great, email those to me. I'll put them in the show notes, right. and so listeners, um, you can you can go to c4so org uh, and find the show notes for this episode. All of those links will be in there. David, thank you so much. Yeah, is, I feel you, like I got, a, like I said before, a master's <laughs> yeah. degree. This has been a master class and a really meaningful time. Oh, so thank I you. really thank appreciate you, so you spending much. time with us. I appreciate it, as always. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.